0: This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Welcome to Relevant Life Church. It's good to see you this morning. As I look out today, I'm glad that you're here. I know that there are people online as well, but I also know that there are people that are are absent from us. Maybe they'll be at South Campus as well, but I'm glad that you're here today. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Amen. I, I need some life this morning. You guys are a little bit subdued, looking at me like I've got five heads. Uh, I apologize. Can I, I'm just going to start from the very beginning. I apologize if I'm a little bit riled today. Oh. Okay. Uh, I'm riled in the sense of the Holy Spirit's been working in my life. So I apologize if I offend you, but I'm not, offend, I'm not apologizing if the Holy Spirit offends you. Okay? And I'm praying that he comes and does it work this morning. I want to remind you about your connection card if you're visiting with us this morning. and uh, First, second time, third guest, whatever that is. Would you fill that out? Uh, we have a new process, a new step. If you filled one out, if you take it to the, the stand right over here after service, it has the R on it, the welcome booth. There is a gift that is there for you and we would love to be able to give you that gift um, and have you connect with someone that's on that team. Also, connect groups are right around the corner. We have a lot of events that are happening and connect groups, uh, go sign up today, make sure you're participating in that. But what's exciting that I really want to emphasize is it's not just for you, it's for your kids. So if you have kids, this is no longer glorified babysitting. It's purposeful and intentional. Amen? And Pastor Sarah's got a vision and she's got a dream and she's got some excitement and we're launching something brand new. How many will pray for Pastor Sarah as she launches this? Pray for her team. But I want you as your kids, would you participate? Would you adjust your schedule? Not just for you, but adjust your schedule for your kids because this is something that's holy and sacred for them. Uh, We're in the middle of our our fasting and prayer uh, time. We began our 21-day fast last Tuesday. We're in the process of moving forward. Remember our prayer times Tuesdays and Thursdays. excuse me, Tuesdays through Fridays, 12 to 1, and we would love to see you there at our South Campus during that hour two really important things that I want to uh, express. One that you saw on the slide, and that is February 4th, there is a parent and parent and ch- kid, child uh, vision night that we don't want you to miss. I've watched Pastor Sarah, as she's put a lot of attention and a lot of focus into the theme and a lot of focus into what's gonna happen in 2024. And parents, you don't want to miss what's exciting on the horizon. Sarah's got a great team and her team's gonna be there and it's gonna be fun. There's going to be prizes. There's going to be vision. It's going to be food. Everyone loves food. So make sure you go on and sign up for that. Also, something brand new for us, first ever at Relevant Life Church uh, in the history of this church, when it used to even be Calvary Temple that I know of, is we have a serve team night. Everyone say serve team serve team. What that means is if you are serving somewhere in our congregation, in our church, you are on the serve team. So this this night coming up on April 14th is for every person that is serving on a team in any sort of capacity. Uh, you're invited to this. You will want, not want to miss it. If you want to come, you got to join a team, right? So this is like Uh, manipulation, whatever you wanna call it, we need you to serve. But if you wanna join us and you wanna sign up for that, get on get involved in a team somewhere and we would we will put you to work uh this is going to be a catered dinner there's going to be honors and awards uh that celebrate the individuals that make relevant life church function and we want to honor you we want to celebrate you because we get to do what we get to do every day of the week as pastors but you're the one that makes sundays a success you're the one that makes ministry a success because we could not do it without you and we want to honor you in that way so would you go on and sign up for that you ready Say, I'm ready. ready. Turn to your neighbor and say, Get ready. ready. Me and my energy, I say, Punch him in the arm and say, Get ready, but that might be a little bit too violent today. Right? Today we're gonna to start a brand new series, uh, the series Make Room. The overview of this uh, series is something that we're gonna be looking at uh, for the next five weeks of what I believe and hope and pray is not, just a, five week ser- not a, just a five week sermon series, and actually in reality is probably one sermon that's split over five weeks. And how many say thank God for that? Right, because if it was one sermon, you'd be here for five hours because of the content that is here, and I'm praying that I will be sensitive to that today. But my prayer, honestly, uh, through this series and in preparation for this, I feel like the Holy Spirit has given me this word and I looked it up and there's some negative connotations, but there's positive connotations. But I've been praying, God, would you disrupt us? Would you disrupt our lives? You know, I don't want you to go look at the negative, but I wanna give you the definition. Disrupt, would you interrupt our lives? Would you interrupt us? How many need God to interrupt something in your life? I love this next phrase here, to alter the structure of. To alter something internally within us, in our minds, in our our attitudes. And the last one is to to cause radical change. Sorry, my, cause radical change. And I wanna invite you to do something today. If you don't, don't wanna pray this prayer, don't pray it because I believe that God's gonna do it in our lives. But if you have the boldness to do it, the courage to do it, if you would leave, lift your hands across this room, and would you say, God, would you disrupt my life? God, in 2024, would you disrupt our lives? God, would you interrupt? Would you alter us? God, would you bring change, radical change, lasting change, dynamic change? God, where we've become complacent, where we've become apathetic, God, where we have become stale, God, where we have become dull, God, would you come and would you ignite? Would you sharpen our lives? Would you stir us today? And God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 2024. Everyone say 2024. You know, I love New Year's. If you've known me for very long at all, you know that I love New Year's. And for some reason, I have this fascination with New Year's more than I have with New Days. Anybody there, you know, it's like New Days, they can just become monotonous, but New Year's only happen once a year right? And so it's like, you you get energized. I get energized by this idea of New Year's. And I want you to see this next slide here. I think of 2024. And if you could see the picture more clear, it's, it's a road that is going into the distance that we do not know where we're going. We don't know what's happening. We don't know really what's 2024 is even holding for us. And some of us, we can get excited about that. We can feel a little bit nervous about that. It could create some anxiety. If you're a planner, you want to know every step. Anybody out there that want to just know what the next thing is? But on this slide, I've given us five words that I believe, or I know we're going to be discussing them in the next five weeks. But I'm praying that they're going to be five words that will direct our steps for 2024. 2024. Not just direct my life or relevant life church, but will direct your life. And I love these words. New. Everyone say new. new. Enlarge. Everyone say enlarge. Stretch. Stretch. Str- lengthen. Strength. And strengthen. Each of these words are connected to our topic today of make room. Each of these words are a preparatory word. Each of these words are something that is demanding something of you and me. And that's why I'm saying, God, Holy Spirit, you've got to come and disrupt us to get us out of our comfort, to get us out of the normal, to get us out of what we limit you to, to go, God, I want the new. God, I want to enlarge my life. God, I want to stretch my life. I want to lengthen my reach. I want to strengthen what it is you're doing in me. What I want you to realize today is that 2024 is brand new. It's unlived. It's uncharted territory, it's unexperienced, it's undefined. So when today, when we think about 2024, it's not just more of the same. It's not just how we've always done it. We need to step into it with a mindset to going, God, what is the new thing you want to do in my life? God, what's the new thing you want to do at Relevant Life Church? What's the new thing you want to do through the body of Christ? This idea of make room, the definition is this, to move aside. Now, I'm not asking you to move aside. Well, maybe I am if you need to move aside to let God in. If you're, the th- if you're on the throne of your life, then you need to move aside. Amen? But to move aside, to move something aside to allow some, someone to enter or to pass. Today in this content's context. I'm asking you to evaluate your life, to go, God, what is it that I need to move aside so you become a predominant area in my life? More predominant than you are currently. Clear clear space for something. This idea of clearing space for something is the idea of rearranging your life, reorganizing your life, eliminating to create space. I don't know about you, but anybody go through and eliminate things and create space in your home. I can tell you this, I didn't ask for permission, but Trenton is one who is constantly cleaning out. I mean, he gets one little thing and he's running to goodwill. Or he's going, dad, mom, do you want this? Because he wants to fill our clutter so when we die, he can clean our clutter out. (laughs) He's making space in his house and cluttering my house. You say, Pastor Kevin, what are we making room for? Number one, we're making room for God. Making room for God in a way that we haven't done so up to this point. We're making room for people in our lives, people in our congregation. We're making room for vision. We're making room to accomplish the purpose of God in this church. We're making room for the new. We're making room for change. Everyone say change. Change is not always something that we embrace or like. We're making room for growth, but can I tell you today, in order to make room, you have to declutter. In order to make room, you have to intentionally clear space by getting rid of things. This idea of declutter is to remove unnecessary items. As you look at your life today, What are those unnecessary items? I realize, you know, I've been thinking about this concept for the last four months in preparation for today. And today, this is brand new to you, so this may take a bit for you to swallow and to evaluate, but this is the question I would love for you to write down somewhere and to begin to ask yourself. What is it that you need, what in what in your life is causing disorder? What in your life is creating chaos? What in your life is impeding movement? What in your life is reducing your effectiveness? Now, I'm not talking about effectiveness on the job and productivity, even though that's important because we as Christians are to do our best. I'm talking about your effectiveness as a follower of Christ. Your effectiveness as one who wants to see God work in their lives. The blessing of the new year, the blessing of fasting is an opportunity to declutter. Seriously, I can evaluate this last four days. Someone came to me and said, Pastor Kevin, how's the fast going? And I'm going, It's working, not not anything, it's working spiritually. Can I tell you the purpose of fasting is a decluttering process in your life? A decluttering of your emotions and your thoughts and your soul, a decluttering of all these things that you're saying, God, I don't need all this. And God, I wanna get rid of it so I can actually hear you. I need to make space for you. We think about people that need a declutter and we see this next picture of hoarding. I don't put this up here in mockery in any way, shape, or form. I know these are serious issues, but how many see this picture and feel a little bit anxiety? Now, in no way am I targeting anybody here today, but can I tell you whether you are a hoarder physically like this, all of us on this planet are hoarders in some way or another. All of us are hoarders in our Finances that we want it. Our finances. It's mine. All of us are hoarders in some way of stuff. All of us are hoarders spiritually when we're not willing to share the good news with somebody else. All of us are hoarders when we mentally, uh, w- when we overcomplicate thoughts patterns and mentally uh, just r- r- ruminate over things. I can tell you that I, all of us, can sometimes be cluttered in our soul. Cluttered in busyness, cluttered in effort, cluttered in all these things. And so today when we talk about this idea of clearing out, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, addressing this, this concept of hoarding, this compulsion to continually accumulate. In our culture today, there's an advertisement there for you to what? Continually accumulate. Well, my son's in my life is for me to continually accumulate. Dad, I don't want to let you accumulate it. No, seriously, we want, we we see and we take, we see and we get, and half the time we don't even use what we have. Stephen Furtick says this, you can't make God move in your life, but you can make room for God to move in your life. Anybody get frustrated that God's not on your timetable and your schedule? Anybody wish that he would show up at the moment Can I tell you, it's been my battle, even in preparation for today, going, God, I have to trust you to do what you need to do in this service, but God, I want him to get here. And God's going, God's reminding me, Kevin, you've you've been chewing on this for four months. You've been chewing on this. You've been already doing the work. I have to make room. You have to make room. You have to step back and say, God, I want you to do something. To make room, this, the, the, the theme of our series, to make room is to do practical things and preparation for God to do the supernatural. Do practical things in your life that you have control over, that you have the ability to declutter, to move, to make those choices. As the Holy Spirit points out, for you to dismiss them or just get rid of them, to take them to goodwill. Don't give your baggies to somebody else like Trenton does to me. The theme of today, this title of today is Get Ready. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. Get ready. Come on, get ready. get ready. Come on, there you go. Can I tell you, we got ready for church this morning, at least I hope you did. Uh, you get ready for work every single day, you get ready for a vacation, you get ready for the holidays, you get ready for guests to come into your home. We prepare, we make ready for use. In connection with, make, with making room, we have to get ready to make room. Probably one of the largest items that we make room for, if you have ever had a child or planning to have a child, is we prepare for that baby that's going to come. We get ready for babies. We prepare the nursery. We have the baby showers to get the clothes and the diapers. We prepare by picking a name for that child. We plan. The mother's body begins to prepare for the child growing inside and eventually prepare for the birthing process. We prepare for budget for the budget. We prepare for diapers and formula. We prepare for sleepless nights. If you can even prepare for sleepless nights, we prepare our house for safety. There is a lot of getting ready for a child to come into your home. There's a lot of things that we have to step back and make room for and evaluate and go, is this clutter or is this necessary? Do I need this or do I not need this? You may not be getting ready for a baby, but I wanna ask you this question. What is it in 2024 that you need to get ready for? It may be a premature question because you're not really thinking so much about it, but can I ask you, would you be committed to begin to ponder this and think about this? As I said, the next five weeks or a, one sermon broke down into five weeks and we're gonna be using two primary verses from the book of Isaiah. I want to give you some context. Isaiah is writing to the exiles in Babylon during the sixth century BC. The exiles had been deported for more up to more than 50 years. And, and they're now back in their homeland, which has been destroyed. The overarching message of Isaiah is that God is both the judge and the savior. The judgment of God declares what is broken and the promise of God he- brings what it needs to be healed. The book of Isaiah provides us with the most comprehensive prophetic picture of who Jesus Christ is. Now I encourage you if you wanna go and do more research on that, go read the book uh, of Isaiah. Isaiah contains one of the clearest expressions of the gospel in all of the Old Testament. It's clear that the people have turned away from God and failed in the responsibility as his children. Yet God miraculously holds out this hope to this unrepentant people offering cleansing of sins and blessing that comes with faith and obedience to him. Can I tell you today, when, we, when I read the book of Isaiah, I can see the United States of America, but I can see the grace of God. I can see the power of God. When we think of, when we think of the book of Isaiah, there's 66 chapters, everyone say 66. We're not gonna be going through all of them, we're gonna be going through a couple, two chapters with a few verses, 66 chapters. But for you to understand the layout, There are 39 chapters based on judgment. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah are based on the judgment of God, of what judgment and what they have done. The last 27 chapters are the restoration and hope of God. So if you get discouraged really easily, skip, read through really quickly the first first, uh, 39 chapters and then settle on the 27 chapters that bring consolation and hope. Next two weeks, I wanna look at two chapters in those restoration and hope periods. I bring up that idea of prepping for a baby because this first first passage of scripture that we'll focus more on next week is this one in 54 verses one through five. It says, sing barren woman. Everyone say barren woman. I don't know if you're understanding what a barren woman is but a barren woman is one that has never had children. A barren woman who has faced humiliation, who has faced loss. When we begin to think about our lives, I wanna ask you in your life, where are you barren? Where is there a barrenness in the spirit? He goes on to say, "You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for, shout for joy. You will never be in. Uh, you were never in labor because uh, you you are never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her two uh, of, of her who has a husband." Says the Lord. But God, in a sense, is coming in verse two, and He says, "Get ready." I want you to enlarge your tent. I want you to stretch your tent curtains. I want you to not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess the nations and settle in their desolate cities. The second passage of scripture that will be a theme as well and we will focus here today is Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and the reinforcements together. And they lay there never to rise again, extinguished snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. In the second passage of scripture, we see God's faithfulness we see God's restorative power. We see God who is a God who was present with them then and who, a God who wants to be present with them now. It's so important that we understand, but as we see this passage of scripture, the only way for them to experience the new thing that God is promising is that they declutter their memories, is that they declutter their life, that they get things out of the way to experience God fresh and anew. Let me ask you today, how many of us experience God based upon something that happened in the past? It's not, it's not wrong, but we all do, do we not? How many, when we pray, we look back to the way God did something then, and in some ways we expect him to do it the same way that he did it last time. You're lacking finances and all of a sudden you pray, and one time, years ago, someone drops a, a, a check in the mail and it comes to you and you're going, oh God, I need finances 10 years later, and you're expecting someone, you keep going to the mailbox going, God, is there a check in the mail? Can I tell you, it's the same God that'll provide. It's the same God that'll do. But oftentimes he doesn't do the same thing. This concept of knowing that we've got to declutter our lives. How do we do that? I want to give you four points this morning. We get ready by number one, trusting God's sovereignty and his faithfulness. Trusting God's sovereignty and his faithfulness. The key word is trust. We just sang about it this morning, but this word trust, one in which confidence is placed. And I ask you today, where is your confidence placed? When you think about your space, when you think about this idea of making room, are you trusting in all of the clutter that's in your life? Today, when we think about these things that we put our trust in, one in which confidence is placed, assured reliance. uh, This is obviously talking about a person because it's reliance on the character, the ability, the strength, or the truth of someone. Trust. Trust not sure if you're aware of it or not, but trust is the foundation of every relationship. So trust, trust is the foundation of a marriage. Trust is the foundation of a friendship. Trust is the foundation of a parent-child relationship. Trust is the foundation. Trust is the foundation of our relationship with God. We have to come back and go, God, can I trust you? We have to have trust in these chairs that when we sit in them, they're not gonna collapse. We have to have trust in our car that when we go out and put the key in the ignition that when we, and we turn it, it's going to start. We have to have trust that when we're driving down the road, it's going to work. There's so many things in our life that are trust-oriented. But can I tell you today, the only thing, the only being on this planet that you can have complete trust in is God. How many know that humanity is going to fail? How many in this room have ever failed? How many know that Things, stuff are going to fail you. Things that have cluttered your life. God's going, Would you get rid of that clutter? Would you declutter? Would you put your confidence in me? Isaiah 43, it says, He who made a way through the sea, path through the w- mighty waters, He who drew out the chariots and horses, He who, basically who snuffed them out like a wick. God begins by reciting to Israel the things that He's done in the past. God reminds them. He rescued them, from the, rescued them from the pursuit of the Egyptians. He made a way through a sea of impossibility. He saved them from their pursuit. Enemies who wanted to drag them back into the life of bondage and slavery, God says, no. The Israelites, in this process, they found great comfort in the, God reminding them of his sovereignty and his faithfulness. Here they're in prison once again. Here they're held captive once again. And God's going, hey, remember I delivered you then? I can deliver you now. These two words are so important. They're dominant character traits of God. And that one is the sovereignty. Sovereignty is being free from control, free from external control. God has power, wisdom, and authority to do anything he chooses with his creation. We come back and we'll go, God, can I count on you? Yeah, we can count on you. But can I tell you in God's sovereignty, if he wanted to, now don't, don't freak out here. But if he wanted to, he could change the rules on us. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's the creator. This idea of God being sovereign, it means that he's omniscient. He can see everything. He's all present. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. Can I tell you, there's nothing on this planet that is sovereign. There's nothing on this planet in creation that is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is in control of your life. He's in control of my life. The other word here that's so important is faithfulness. Steadfastness, constant. God is unchanging in his character. He's bound by his character, meaning that you can rely on who he says he is and what he says he can do. God is sovereign, we can trust his sovereignty and we can trust his faithfulness. Oftentimes I can compare God's faithfulness to humanity's faithfulness. Anybody ever let you down? Have you ever let anybody down? Can I tell you oftentimes our only context of understanding is humanity and lack of sovereignty and humanity and their lack of faithfulness. We have to step back and get into God's word and look at the past and look at the stories to go, God, you are sovereign, you did work, God, you are faithful and you will be faithful. I love that song that we sing, I trust in God, my savior. I know he will never fail me. Have you gotten to that place yet? Do you realize that the God that you serve is a God that will never fail you? He will never fail you. Point number two, we get ready by releasing the past. Psalms 43, 18 says this, the former, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Do I need to remind you today who's communicating? God through the prophet Isaiah is communicating, God through the prophet Isaiah Isaiah is going, hey, Israelites, remember that I delivered you. And now all of a sudden he's going, hey, Israelites, forget the past. God's the one who brought up the past. God's the one who's recounting those things that he's done. But God is is the one that's saying, now forget. Remember, forget. I think of the movie, uh, The Grinch, and and the Grinch goes, I'm a psycho. Can I tell you that sometimes God in his communication, you're going, God, you're making me feel like a psycho. What do you mean? Remember, forget. What do you mean God move and be still? What do you mean God trust? But if you don't do something, can I tell you that there's this holy contradiction that is there and this is one of those holy contradictions and Isaiah is coming through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, forget the former things. This is not calling us to erase history. Not for us to go back and blank out our, our childhood and to blank out all these things. He's not saying, forget about that. He's saying, release the comparison of. Everyone say that with me. Release the comparison of. How many have ever been forgetful here? You forgot a birthday. How many forever forgot an anniversary? Ooh. How many have forgot where you placed your keys? Like me every day of my life. (laughs) How many have ever forgot an appointment, someone's name? Today, when we think about this idea of forgiveness, God's not asking us to live in forgetfulness. Can I tell you why? Because that would be contradictory to everything else he says in his word because God himself is the one that says we need to remember. He says that scriptures tell us the things that have happened in the past to bring encouragement and learning to us today. So God's not coming to the Israelites and going, wipe that out of your memory, forget about that. Forget the past. One problem with looking back is that you miss what's happening now. The Israelites, are held captive. The Israelites are, are in bondage once again, and in looking back to what was, and looking back to Israel, and looking back to Jerusalem and the temple, and looking all the way back to, the, to, the, to the, the Red Sea and the party in the Red Sea, they're held back by God. what God wants to do now. They're held back, they're held in constraints by the past. Someone once said, the past is a good place to visit, but it's not a good place to live. God's telling the Israelites, don't be so focused on what he has done in the past that they miss what he's about to do now. Theologically speaking, when we live in the past, can I tell you that we put God in a box of the past? And need I remind you this morning that God is a God of yesterday, today, and forever? Forever? When we look to the past and we put God in the box of the past and we put God in the, how he used to function in the past, we're not giving him freedom to be the God, the sovereign God that he is now. And in the future, I can tell you it's painful when we realize that we can allow the blessings of the past to set the standard for now. Can I tell you that the blessings of the past were amazing? How many have memories of the blessing of the past? How many have fit that you hold dearly into your life? They were blessings, moments. But can I tell you, when we hold so strongly to the blessings of the past, we're missing the blessings of today and the blessings of future. Because we're putting God in these constraints. If we constantly compare to, fit, to the fit of the old, we will never accept the fit of the new. And we put on a new pair of shoes and you're going, my old ones are more comfortable. Anyone put, on a, anyone put on a brand new sweatshirt and you go, oh, I want my old sweatshirt that's raggedy and torn. Old things, the good, the bad, and the ugly can trap us in comfort. They can cause us to live in apathy and complacency. Oftentimes they trap us with this mindset of the rear view, rear view mirror mindset. How, can I tell you today that all of us can fall into this mindset from a time or two? Many of us, when we look at our past, we can look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the hard, the losses, the victories, and we can allow them to dictate and determine our future. If someone lets you down now, we are assuming that someone's going to let you down now. Or someone lets you down then, they're gonna, we're assuming someone's going to let you down now. If someone was unfaithful then, we're assuming they're going to be unfaithful now. If it didn't work then, who says it's going to work now? But I want to remind you today that all of our past, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they've shaped us, but they don't define us. And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about forgetting the past. Don't let your past define who you are. When we're talking about making room in your life, how long have you been held in prison in this room of clutter? How long in your relationships do you just keep bringing memories forward, putting ideas on when it's not even there? the purpose of remembering the past is to point us to the future my counselor often asked me this question is this the little kevin talking the child kevin or is this the big kevin the adult kevin talking I say pastor kevin what are you talking about can i tell you today 60 years old that i can still make decisions based upon the little child kevin rather than the big kevin And I guarantee this, you're impacted by the same framework. And it's a determination to go, God, I'm going to let go of the past. I'm going to move forward to who I am today. Point number three, we get ready by embracing the new thing. We get ready by embracing the new thing. I want to tell you today that God is in the business of doing new things. God is in the business of doing new things, making all things new, making us new. We can look through the New Testament. It says to put off your old self and to put on the new self. God is all about new things. And as we release the past, we have to open ourselves to perceive and to participate in what's happening now. Isaiah 43 says this, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God was about to do something new. But can I tell you the key words in this are see and perceive. He opens up this verse with this word see. See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? He's wondering to know, can you see that even though it may not be right there, can you see it? Do you have a sense of perception? Can I tell you today, you can't get ready for the new unless you can see the new. You can't get ready for a baby unless you know that you're going to have a baby. You can't get ready for the next step in your life unless you have some sense of understanding that something new is coming. We're not just talking about a surprise event in your life. We're talking about an anticipation and an expectation. And I ask you today in 2024, are you anticipating something from God? Are you expecting something from God? If you are, you got to make room in your life for something from God. If you don't see it, you're not gonna receive it. The problem with our humanity is sometimes remembering the past gets in the way of perceiving and experiencing the future. It's where we need God to come and disrupt, interrupt our lives. The problem with the new is we miss the comfort of the old. The problem with the old is we get too comfortable and we become complacent and apathetic. The problem with the old is we forget our purpose and our mission. And can I declare to you really boldly this morning that the church of Jesus Christ is for God's purpose and his mission, that the Holy Spirit truly wants to disrupt your life. You say, Oh, pastor Kevin, are you targeting me? I'm targeting myself. I'm targeting everybody under the sound of my word. God, the Holy Spirit wants to do something dynamic in America. And the only way he can do that is if he disrupts us and we declutter our lives today, you and I are products of cultural Christianity. I'm not saying you don't love God. I listened to a preacher this week. He goes, there's a difference between Christianity and discipleship. I want you to ponder that, but there's a difference between Christianity and discipleship. He said, Christianity believes that there's a God, but disciples give, disciples serve, disciples sacrifice, disciples reach the lost, disciples pray. Can I tell you today, we can cloud, we can glorify ourselves and go, we have a Christian nation, which I don't think we do anymore. Rather, I'd be saying, do we have a discipled nation? Do we have discipled churches? God often has to remove the old, declutter it in order to declutter our lives in order for us to make room for the new. Our nature, our humanity by nature is a hoarding nature. Our humanity by nature is to, we return to the comfortable. Just like the Israelites that are in the wilderness, and God's delivered them. They begrudge going, God, I'm tired of the leeks and the onions. God, I'm tired of slavery and what they're out in the wilderness for just a few short years. And all of a sudden they're going, God, take us back to Israel or take us back to Egypt. Isn't that what happens in our life? We long for something and then we get it and then we begrudge that we've gotten it. I want you to hear this This is important. God is doing a new thing, but oftentimes in our humanity, we look for the next thing when God wants to do a new thing. I want you to hear this today. We often look for the next thing when God wants to do a new thing. We look for the next thing, a point of succession. Well, this happens. So this will obviously happen. And God's going, no, I'm going to break your bubble. I don't want to do the next thing. I want to do the new thing. I don't want to just do a successive process. The question that I've had to ask myself or stop asking is God what's not, not asking what's next, but God, what's new? While we can gain so much from our past, we must not let our minds be so focused on what God did. This idea of seeing uh, and, and perceiving, he says this new thing that springs up. How many know that everything begins as a seed? Everything begins as a seed, whether it's the child that we talked about in conception, Began as a seed. Whether you look at the apple that you're eating, that you ate yesterday, it came from a seed. When we think about technology today, it came from idea of technology, seeds, process. It had to grow. It had to develop. And Isaiah is coming here and saying, do you not, do you, do you perceive it? Do you see that it's sprung up? How many times you, we, we see something sprout and we really don't care about it? We don't deal with it at the moment, whether it's a weed or whether it's a plant. It's there and it's insignificant. But can I tell you, if you don't nurture that sprouting, you will never have an apple. If you don't nurture that child in, a, in your womb, it will never come about and be healthy. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says this, who, who dares despise the day of small beginnings? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that reigns throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. For us to grasp this passage of scripture, we have to understand the history. Zechariah is encouraging them to embrace small beginnings, to embrace the smallness. How many get frustrated with smallness? How many get frustrated with the small amount rather than you can see it in your mind's eye of what it should be and it's beginning small. Zechariah says, don't despise those things. The setting transpa- transports us back into the same era, in a sense, of Isaiah, when the, when the Israelites, the Jewish people, have been re- removed from Babylon, Babylon and returned back to Jerusalem. They're facing the daunting task of re- re- rebuilding this glorious temple that was in ruins. Their, their leader, Jeroboam, was faced with not just unlimited resources, but he was faced with a sense of internal discouragement. Have you ever been there? You look at the small beginnings, and you're going, God, I just feel discouraged today. Zechariah is trying to bring hope, and he's trying to bring, bring positive. He says, he who dares despise the day of small beginnings? This question challenges us to cast away any disdain or discouragement associated with small beginnings. We are not to despise or undervalue, undervalue the humble beginnings, for they hold seeds of victory that will to come. Everything in our life began with a seed. Everything began in our life with an idea. And look at us today. Are we happy with what it is? Many times in our culture, we want a microwave technology that says, God, I don't want to go through the seed process. I don't want to go through the sprouting process. I just want it now. And God goes, I don't do it that way. Second part of this verse of scripture says, the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth. This phrase refers to the God's omniscience and his omnipresence, that God is there. He sees and he knows, and he sees the small beginning and he sees the victory. He's able to assess it all. Last part is that he rejoices when they see that chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Now we're talking at the very beginning of this rebuilding of the temple. had. they're just, they hadn't even finished laying the foundation and the people are discouraged and going, how do we do this? And God's going through the prophet Zechariah, let me tell you, or Zephaniah, let me tell you this story. The capstone signifies the completion of the temple. And can I tell you that God was already rejoicing at the completion and it was just the beginning. What does that tell us about us? That even in the beginning, even in those new things that we need to rejoice in the end. We need to be reaching for what it is. Lastly today, we get ready by expecting God to make a way. Expecting God to make a way. Isaiah 43, 19 says, I make a, I'm making a way in the wilderness and the streams in the wasteland. The new thing God is talking about, is about to do is to make a way in the uncharted wilderness to make streams in an uncharted desert. Now, I like outdoors, and I like the wilderness, but I also like the comfort of home. Anybody out there? God is talking directly to this idea of going, you know, out in the wilderness, there's wild animals. Out in the wilderness, you can get eaten. Out in the wilderness, you have to hunt for water. Out in the wilderness, you could fall and be alone. All these things, out in the wilderness, we can have these fears of the wilderness and the fears of the desert and all the calamities that can come. But God in his wording and his phrasing, knowing that they had been in the wilderness, knowing that they had experienced the wilderness. He says, I will make a way for you. I will make a highway in the wilderness. I will give you waters in the wilderness. I will provide for you in the wilderness. The wilderness can be uncertain and scary. The process between the promise of the new thing and the new thing actually happen demands faith. It demands preparation, not just once, but every single day. It demands aligning ourselves with God, saying, God, you promised. God, I want to see the new thing. God, declutter my life. God, I declutter my life. God, I'm making room for you. There's power and hope and anticipation. And if I want to experience something new, I have to see something new, but I have to start doing something new. Do you hear me today? If I want to experience the new, I have to see the new, but it's not just waiting for God to show up. I have to start doing something new. If I'm anticipating something, if I'm looking for something, if you're looking for something, you better start preparing for it. You better be walking as if it were already there. Quickly going to a story of Moses in the middle of the wilderness. Moses had been shepherding for 40 years in the wilderness when God appeared to him in the burning bush. And it changed his life completely. Before this, I wonder if Moses thought his life was over. Anybody ever been there before? He had been spent 40 years in Egypt as Pharaoh's, as Pharaoh's grandson, brought up on the finest that Egypt had to offer. Then a failed attempt at helping his fellow Hebrews resulted in fleeing from Egypt for 40 years in the desert. Moses is now 80 years old and he's probably going, God, is this all that my life is going to amount to? Is this it? These sheep stink. This desert is dry and hot. I'm thirsty and I'm afraid of the wild animals. That's me saying that. God, did I blow my opportunity? The wilderness is not the end, it's part of our journey. It's the place where God does his deep and thorough work within our lives. As Moses was with the sheep and going about his regular ordinary tasks, God met him in the burning bush. But I want you to understand this very important. God didn't immediately appear to Moses and reveal his plan. Exodus chapter 3 verses 3 and 4 says this. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why this bush is not burning up. When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. I want you, if you don't already see it, I want you to understand this. God didn't speak to Moses until Moses recognized and turned aside. God wasn't standing over the side with a banner going, hey Moses, the burning bush was enough and God was going, if he's curious enough about this new thing, he will turn aside and he will ask. Can I tell you this concept of the new thing takes you to turn aside, takes you to pause in your life and to go, I'm not happy, I'm too complacent, I'm too comfortable. God, what is this new thing? You may not have a burning bush experience, but can I tell you today that God, the God who loves you, wants to communicate to you? We have to get ready. Before I close, I wanna read one last story to you. I was reading a story this week about Getting Ready, Turning Aside by Smith Wigglesworth. He was having dinner with an Anglican vicar pastor who had no legs below his knees. Wigglesworth didn't pray for the man but said to him in the morning, go buy a new pair of shoes. The vicar initially thought it was some kind of cruel joke. However, as he laid down that night, the Lord said to him to do as the servant had said to him. And the next morning he got up early and went downtown, stood outside waiting for the store to open. And the clerk opened the door and the pastor asked him for a pair of shoes and the clerk looked at the vicar, saw his prosthesis and said, I'm sorry, we can't help you. And the vicar said to the young man, that's all right, but I do want a pair of shoes, size six, black in color. And the clerk went to get the shoes and handed them to the vicar and the vicar sat down in the shoe store and put put one shoe on the stump into the shoe and instantly a leg and a foot appeared. And the same thing happened with the other leg. He walked out of the shop, not just with new shoes, but with new legs. Whether you believe it or not, Smith Beaglesworth was a miracle traveling evangelist. And he saw miracles that were unforeseeable. But can I tell you, God didn't just do the next thing. God did a new thing. God did a new thing but it took the pastor's responsibility to go down and stand at the door and to go no I want a pair of shoes size 8 and black he had to put his expectation he had to put his action to it you had to get he had to get ready for the miracle my prayer is god may we always have eyes to perceive the new god may we have eyes to perceive the new god may we have hearts to receive the new God may we have faith to walk out the new each of us need to look back at God's faithfulness don't get stuck in comparing to what is what was and to what is now we need to anticipate the new anticipate the new people the new vision the new impact the new part that God wants to do in us and we need to begin to make room where do you need it to clutter today get ready. Turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. Why? Because God's going to make a way. Say it. God's going to make a way. Come on. God's going to make a way. I believe that God wants to conceive something in you. Would you stand to your feet and sing the song and then I'm going to close with my application.
1: Here is where I lay down Every burden, every Prayer. This is my surrender. my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down. Every lie and every lie. This is my Come surrender. I will, make room. I will make room. for you. Across the sanctuary. Come on, let's do it. To do
0: to him today. God, I make room for you. God, I make room for you. Come on, just tell him, God, I make room for you. I even sense in this room that God right now is beginning to show people what that new thing is. Others may have to ponder and think, but God is showing some what that new thing is. Can I tell you today, this is not just a one time making room. It's day in and day out, decision after decision, moment by moment, saying, God, I make room for that new thing. God, I say no to the old way and pattern of life, and I say new to the new way pattern of life. Today, an application. How do you need it to declutter your life to make room for the new? How do you need it to declutter your life? This is not something that you can step back and just do in two seconds. It's something I'm praying that you're going to evaluate and look at throughout this next week. Snap a picture of this slide and begin to evaluate your life. How do you need to declutter your life to make room for the new? And number two, will you commit to seeking God for what he wants to conceive in you in 2024? Will you commit? Will you commit? Can I ask a really bold question if everyone will look around this room, look at me today. How many? I'm not gonna judge you if you don't raise your hand. I'm just wanting to go, who's on the same page? How many will commit to seek God for what he wants to conceive in your life? God, across this room, you see the hands that are raised. You see the lives that are desiring the new thing, not the next thing, but the new thing. Holy Spirit, would you solidify this in their hearts? Holy Spirit, would you begin to birth in them if you have not already? Would you begin to plant the seeds and anticipation and excitement? God, I bind discouragement. I bind despising the small beginnings. God, would you give them vision and eyes to see the capstone being laid on the top? God, would you help them to see what they're reaching for? And God, in the name of Jesus, we anticipate what you're gonna do in my life, in their life, in Relevant Life Church, in our family's life. And God, today, once again, say it with me, we make room for you. God, we make room for you. We remove the clutter, we remove the distractions, and God, we make room for you. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I encourage you to be part of this journey over the next four weeks as we step into these passages of scripture. You will not want to miss them. If you miss a service, remember that we have online services. You can go to our webpage and get those. We want you to be part of that. Remember today, if you're new with us and you filled out a connection card, there's gifts back at, the, at our welcome booth. And our prayer team is now coming forward to pray for you if you need prayer in any fashion or form. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. I'm anticipating the new thing. Amen. God bless. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.